Today's Bible reading tonight is from Psalm 73, which is found on page 500 of the Church Bibles. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every, new, every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood their final desti destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And then the final Bible reading tonight is from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, which is found on page 972 of the Church Bibles. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading so well, Christy and Beck. It's uh, so good to have the word read well. Uh, I want to focus tonight on what I think is the, the most overused word in the Australian vocabulary. How are you? Good. How's your holidays? Good. How's work at the moment? Yeah, yeah, good. How's your family and friends? Oh, yeah, 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 we're good. How's that new car of yours? Oh, yeah, it's good. And we, 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 we take this beautiful word, good, and we've turned it into this, this bland nothingness. But the word good is used hundreds of times in the Bible to describe God. 
So Psalm 86 verse 5 says, you are forgiving and good, Lord. Psalm 100 verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Psalm 106 verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 119 verse 68, you are good, Lord, and everything you do is good. Uh, That's why I'm excited by this year of goodness, because God is good. I'll say it again, God is is good. Uh, God is infinitely good. So any goodness that we might have is like a, a drop compared to the infinite ocean of God's goodness. God is eternally and immutably good. He can't be anything less than good. God is essentially good in his whole being. He is good. That's our truth, not just for tonight, but for this whole year, that that God is good. And deep down, deep down, I think we all know that God is good, but we're quick to doubt it. And we're quick to question it, especially during the tough times of life. So is God really good when you are weighed down by sorrow and sadness? Is God really good when you're struggling to pay your mortgage or pay your rent or put food on your table? Is God really good when that 20-year-old is diagnosed with cancer? Is God really good when your spouse walks out on you? Is God really good when you're weighed down with loneliness? Is God good when dot, 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 dot? I find this quote so beautiful. I love it. He says, find joy in every day. Not because life is always good, but because God is. Let's be honest. Life is not always good. Life sometimes really sucks. Life is miserable and it's messy and it's complex But in the midst of your mess, and in the midst of your messy life, you need to believe that God is still good. Alan Gardner was a man who lived by that truth. He was a a faithful missionary in South America. He died aged 57 of starvation. He suffered hunger, thirst, beatings, loneliness, And his last diary entry he wrote with a very shaky hand, he said this, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Corrie ten Boom could preach this sermon. She writes this, deep in our hearts, we we believe in a good God, yet how shallow is our understanding of his goodness, especially since we see many things that seem to deny it. Often I've heard people say, how good God is, how good God is. We prayed it wouldn't rain for our church picnic, and look at the lovely weather today. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. I remember telling Betsy I thought that God had forgotten us. She said, no, Corrie, God has not forgotten us. Remember his word, as far as the, as high, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So you see, Corrie, there's an ocean of God's goodness and love available. There's plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt his goodness or his love, whatever the circumstances. 
So my goal is to, to help us to understand the, the full dimension of God's goodness, not, not just intellectually, but, but experientially, not, not just theologically, but practically, so that it might transform your you walk with Jesus and your attitudes and your actions and, and just your very being. Our verse of the year, taste and see the Lord is good. What does that word good mean? Well, Jim Packer defines goodness as excellence, praiseworthy, and useful. And that's how we tend to use the word good in our normal vocabulary. So, you know, we talk about a good movie or a good meal, which means it was, it was excellent, it's worth talking about. Or we talk about you know, a good plumber, someone who was good at his job, he did the job, he was useful. Or we talk about a good bloke or a good woman who, I mean, mean their moral character, they are a good, kind person. That's how we use the word good to mean excellent, useful, praiseworthy. But when it comes to defining God's goodness, it is so hard because God's goodness is not like our goodness. Because God is essentially good. He's always good. He's infinitely good. You remember the, uh, the rich man who came to Jesus and says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now that's the definition of goodness. Goodness is God. God is goodness. It's a, a circular argument. Only God is really good. And there's nothing about God that is not good. <laughs> What's the standard of goodness? God is. Everything God does is good. Everything God is, is good. So all his attributes are good, his, his love, his compassion, yet even his wrath, it's still good. All his words, his laws are all good. So, so whatever God forbids you to do is not good. And for what a, whatever God commands you to do is, is always good. His actions are good. They're what's called benevolent. It just means for the benefit of others. And that's the one we really struggle with. But the Bible just says that God is good because God is God. The Saxon word for God is the good. So Psalm 119, you are good and what you do is good. But look at the verse again. It says, taste and see the Lord is good. Please don't just understand God's goodness, experience it. Uh, those words, taste and see, they are they're sensual, they are experiential. Uh, you know when you go to an amazing restaurant and you have this beautiful meal in front of you? I hope you don't sit there and debate what the ingredients for that meal was. What do you want to do with this meal? You want to taste it. You want to, to put that beautiful meal into your mouth and you want to devour it and you want to enjoy it and you want to embrace it and you want to experience it. That's the word taste. And the word see is, it helps you to put everything into perspective, to see clearly. Uh, seven years ago, I actually admitted I needed to wear glasses and started to wear glasses to preaching because I couldn't see my Bible anymore. And it was amazing, like... For years and years and years, I hadn't realized I couldn't really see clearly. And that's what this word means, that when you understand that God is good, it helps you to see clearly 
everything that you go through. It gives you a different perspective on what you're going through. So it's my goal that you might taste it and, and see it. Because I think we talk about the goodness of God, but we don't experience it sometimes or embrace it. Let me unpack three types of goodness. Number one, God's common goodness. What's called God's common goodness, because, because God isn't just good to believers. He, he's good to all people. Uh, you see that from the first page of the Bible in Genesis 1 at creation, where God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. And then he creates the birds, and that's good, and the fish, and that's good, and the animals, and that's good, because God's creation is a, is a good creation that we all get to enjoy. You might never have thought about this, but, but God could have created a, a world that was a parched desert with no water and little food and said, here you go, inhabit this. That would have been depressing, wouldn't it? But in his kindness and goodness, he, he gives us a, a world that's full of birds and, and animals and, and fish and we have beautiful flowers and we can smell the first uh, first smell of spring, you know, we get to enjoy God's good creation. Everybody does, whether you believe in God or not. You ever thought about the goodness of God that He has created you with ears to hear beautiful music and nostrils to smell sweet perfume? Ever thought about the fact that He's given you eyes to see a, a glorious sunrise or a beautiful sunset and He's given you eyebrows and eyelids to protect these precious eyes of yours. And he's given you sleep for your wearied bodies. And we're supposed to, to live in God's creation and say, God, you are so good. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And I love that, that God does not discriminate between any human being. As you woke up this morning in Sydney, millions and millions of people woke up this morning living in this beautiful world. And most of them, let's be honest, ignore God, deny God or even hate God. And yet they get to enjoy food on their plates and clothes on their backs and a home to live in and a job to go to and all these good things that God lavishes them with even though they ignore him. That's our God. He's so good. The fact that we have a good government where you can live relatively peaceful and quiet lives, that's the goodness of God. The fact that God restrains sin so that human beings are not quite as depraved as we could be, that's the goodness of God. The fact that he's patient with you and waits for you, that's the goodness of God. The fact that the gospel has gone out all over the world and, and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ has, has transformed society and liberated people and educated people who would never be educated and changed society like no other religious movement. That's the goodness of God. And this is a generalization, but the fact that in general, most of you here tonight have experienced way more days of good health than you have bad health. That's the goodness of God. And my question is whether you ever stop and do what the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord our God for he is good. Do you ever express gratitude and thanks for all this common goodness? 
Of course we don't. We take it for granted, don't we? Of course I've got food on my plate, and of course I've got clothes on my back, and of course I've got friends to go for a walk with. There's no of course. It's in the goodness of God he's given you those things. And the kids' song says this, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And so perhaps in your goodness journal this year, you might just every single night, just, just write down one way where you've experienced God's common goodness. You might write down, I went for a walk with a friend. I saw a beautiful sunrise. I saw a tree that was just so overwhelmingly beautiful. I had a, a nice meal to enjoy. Whatever it is, write it down and say, thank you, God. So God's common goodness. Number two, God's, God's saving goodness. Listen to Psalm 86, verse 5. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. You're forgiving and good and abounding in love to all who call on your name. I love that passage from Exodus we had read. And just to give you the context, in Exodus, God's people were in slavery being oppressed, but, but God in his kindness and goodness, he, he rescued them, he liberated them, he restored them, he redeemed them, he, he carried them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. Not just that, he gave them his good word and said, these are the Ten Commandments, this is the best way to live. And in God's goodness, he loved them and cherished them. And there's Moses up the mountain, meeting with God, encountering God. And what are God's people doing? They're down the mountain, dancing around an idol, a golden calf. And, and Moses is rightly horrified, and he pleads with God. We had it read, now show me your glory, he says. God, I, I want to get a glimpse of how splendid and majestic you are. And you might have missed it. God says, no, I, I can't show you my glory, but, Exodus 33, verse 19, I will cause all my goodness, all my goodness to pass in front of you. And then the Lord passes in front of Moses. And what does God say? Here's the goodness of God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That is God's saving goodness, the character of your God. So your God is, is compassionate. And the word for compassion there, remember that, is this, this, this gut-wrenching longing to help and to heal. He sees his people as being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he's full of compassion for them. That's how God sees you. He saw you in, in your lostness and your helplessness, and he had this gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching longing for you. God is gracious. His undeserved favor, God giving you the good things that you just don't deserve. God is slow to anger. Praise God for that. So patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. That is good for us. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Look at that word, abounding. He doesn't just love you, and he's not just faithful. He's abounding in love for you. And the word abounding means it's an, an overflow. It's like an eruption of love for you. He can't stop loving you. And we just sung it, you know, for God so loved the world. And that's not just the fact that he loved it. It's a magnitude word. God 
so loved the world. He loved the world massively. He loved every human being in the world that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient for every human being. That's how much God loved this world. And that's how much God loves you. He's abounding in love for you. He's abounding in faithfulness. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is forgiving, verse 7, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So there's nothing that you have done, past, present, or future, that, that cannot be forgiven, that has not been forgiven, and will not be forgiven. That is the magnitude of God's love for you. And this is all of God's goodness. And God looked at me, and I deserved nothing. Nothing good. I actually deserved punishment and, and wrath, but he, he lavishes me with his love. That is the gospel. And the word gospel means good news, good news. It is good news. Because we are not good, but God is good. And the good God sent his good son, the only good man, the only good human being, and, and he sent his son to an old wooden cross. And there he loved you enough to sacrifice himself for you. And I just wonder whether we as a church need to not just know the gospel, but to taste and see the gospel. I think most of us here, if you're a believer in Christ, you know the mechanics of the cross. You can explain that, that at the cross, Jesus took your punishment on his shoulders, that he died in your place. You can explain all of that. But God doesn't want you just to know his saving goodness. He wants you to taste and see it, to experience Jesus, to encounter Jesus. Maybe this year you need to stop pursuing that, that, that feeling that comes from a, a good run or a good walk with a friend and, and just sit with Jesus and encounter Jesus again and just, just marvel again at his saving goodness in your life. I don't know whether you ever meditated on words like dearly loved, chosen, precious, accepted, holy in his sight, We've experienced his fatherly care, his fatherly guidance, his fatherly wisdom. I want to urge this church, please don't fall for the greatest lie of Satan. Remember back in the Garden of Eden? What was Satan's first big lie? It was that God was not good. God was not good. He, he caused the first man and the first woman to, to question and to doubt God's goodness. Did God really say this? God doesn't really want to do that. God's a bit of a killjoy. Don't believe what God says. And he still loves to do that today, to undermine your assurance, to cause you just to doubt whether really God loves you. So maybe in your journals this year, you might want to write down one way you've experience God's saving goodness. It might be that you've understood that you are loved, cherished, chosen, and precious in his sight. So God's common goodness, God's saving goodness, uh, thirdly, God's transforming goodness. And this is the hard one. Heads up, this is the difficult one. Because sometimes things happen in our life that are so painful, and we're so hurt, and we're so harmed, that you really question whether God is really good. 
let me just run through a few things in my life. If we're going to be vulnerable. Was God good when my eight-year-old brother was diagnosed with cancer? Was God good when, as an 11-year-old, my father was terminally ill for nine years and we nursed him 24-7 till he died? Was God good when, age 15, my good friend at school died of a brain tumour? Was God good when I got dumped by a lover aged 20? Was God good when in my, when in my 20s my best friend betrayed me and slandered me and abandoned me? Was God good when I married Rach and we had three children in four years, but they were all born prematurely, and so she spent nine months of our first four years of marriage in hospital? Was God good, was, was God good then? I didn't enjoy any of that. It was deeply painful and deeply hurtful, but, but God was still good. God was still good. I can honestly say that God was still good. Find joy in every day, not because life is always good. Life is not always good. Life sometimes sucks. But because God is always good. You've got to see two things about God's transforming goodness if you're really going to enjoy him. You've got to see that God is always for you and not against you. God is always for you and not against you. It's that Kitcher calendar verse that we love to quote. Romans 8, 28. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We know, says Paul, we know this truth. Nothing happens that is not for good. We know it, but we question it. We don't like it. We struggle with those two words, all things. We'd love this verse to say, we know that in some things God works for the good of those. We love that. In some things God works for the good of those who love. And that is true, we say. But all things, 100% of times, God is always at work for good. A friend of mine, um, he lost his wife in a car crash in their 20s. They'd been married for just a few years. And they had this verse read at her funeral. And I remember it was the Christians who were most outraged by this choice of, of a reading for a funeral. Surely not in this event. You can't say that God's at work for good in this event. But you've got to believe that God is at work for good not 90% of your time, not 99% of your time, but, but 100% of your time. Nothing happens in your life that God isn't at work in. The real struggle is that word good. We don't understand that word good because we think the word good means good from my perspective. Good for me. Making me happy. Making me content and joyful. We think as good as tangible and material and beneficial for me now. So again, speaking personally, when, when I was 30 and a serious relationship ended, uh, one of those annoying Christians gave me Romans 8.28 and said, well, God has got someone even more beautiful for you. Is that what good means? When I was struggling to get a, get a job after Bible college, uh, someone said, oh, well, God's got the perfect job for you somewhere. Is that what 
good means? Because in both of those occasions, it was like good meant what, is, what will make me happy. That's not what good means. Good is in the Bible is not my personal happiness. Good is good from God's perspective. So the story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories. We're going to look at it later this year. Joseph had a pretty horrific life. You know, he was chucked into a pit and he was sold into slavery. He went down to Egypt. Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. But he says in Genesis 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want to say even in your suffering, even when People intend to harm you even when it's so, so painful and you hurt so much. And even when it seems like God is distant and absent and you're crying out, where are you, God? Why, God? You've got to cling on to this truth that God is at work in all things for good. Not for your comfort. He hasn't told you he'll make you feel better. So what is the good? Look at the next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is God's plan for you, and that's God's plan for me, to mold us and shape us and transform us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Only Jesus is good, and he wants to make us more like Jesus. I don't like this, but sometimes God does use pain heartache and suffering to make us more like Christ. It's a bit like when you go to, to Madame Tussauds and you see those incredible waxwork models that look, look so lifelike. I hope you know they didn't start out like that. They started out as this massive lump of wax. But some incredible sculptor spent hours upon hours upon hours just meticulously chipping away and chipping away and chipping away and molding and shaping and doing the finer details until they've got the perfect likeness of the celebrity. And that's God's heart for you. He wants to chip away at you and mold you and the finest of details because he longs for you to be more and more and more and more like Jesus. He identifies that action needs to change and that behavior needs to change and that thought pattern needs to change. And of course, God does use pleasure. But if I'm honest, in my life, he's often used pain. Again, I don't like that. I hate it. But I've got to believe that whatever happens to me and to you is God's work in us to make us more like Christ. Let me put it really bluntly. God's plan for your life is not necessarily that you will get married or have a perfect marriage or never separate. God's plan for your life is that you'll never be immune to cancer and you'll have an amazing job and be wealthy and happy and and wise. God's plan for your life is that you will be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And sometimes he uses pain to achieve that. And I think we've got to learn to ask a different question, which is rather than just why, why I don't like this, it's, okay, God, please reveal how you're making me more like Christ in and through this. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 71, it was good to be afflicted. It was good to be afflicted. So I might learn your decrees. 
So God is for us, not against us. You've got to believe that. And God is with us, not away from us. Sometimes God works in our life to transform us so that we will will enjoy a closeness and a, a nearness and an intimacy with him that we would never have enjoyed if he hadn't taken us through those hard times. Uh, psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms, and it really is. I know the preachers say that all the time, my favorite psalm. This is one of my favorite psalms. And it begins with the amazing words, Surely God is good to Israel. Surely God is good to Israel. It's this, this theological truth that this, this man believes it. He believes that God is good to his people. He believes it up here, but he doesn't see it. Because his reality as he looks at life is not that the, the Christians, God's people, are having a, a nice life. His reality is that he looks at the world around him and it seems that the wicked are prospering. And all these people who ignore God and deny God, they're having great lives with their fast cars and their nice houses and their, their nice holidays and nothing bad ever happens to them. And he starts to envy them. And he starts to slip into self-pity saying, why have I bothered God? You ever done that? You ever looked at your life and thought, God, I've tried to serve you, I've tried to honour you, but actually my life is, life is terrible. And look at the life of that person. They're having an amazing time. They don't know you, God. Let's be honest. I do it all the time. I look at the people on the, on the, on the trains and I'm thinking, wow, look at your life. It's amazing. But then he realises something in verse 15. He said, Then I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. I brought eternity into the picture and they may have success now, but, but they don't know you, God. And, and then he has this amazing declaration which you've got to believe. In your pain, in your loneliness, in your sadness, in your hurting, in your confusion, you've got to believe verses 23 to 26 of Psalm 73. He says, yet I'm always with you. You never leave me, God. You never forsake me. You hold me by my right hand. You hold on to me and your grip is much firmer and stronger than my grip ever could be. God, you guide me with your counsel. You direct my path. You teach me the right way to live. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. And so I'm confident that heaven is my home. So whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. This is the key verse. My flesh and my heart may fail. Life might be messy, painful, hurtful. But God is the strength of my heart. And God is my portion forever. But as for me, verse 28, it is good to be near God. It's good to be near you, God. And that's why I love this psalm. There's this massive shift back in verse 1. Good meant Wrongly, it meant no trials, no troubles, no sorrow, no sadness, no pain, just this pleasant life. But by the end of the psalm, he said, no, no, it's good to be near God. This is goodness, knowing you, God, being close to you, God, being intimate with you, God. And so, yeah, his afflictions, they, they hurt. They were painful, but they drew him closer to God. Listen carefully, church. Whatever God needs to do in your life to draw you into a closer deeper, more intimate relationship with him, don't you want him to do it? It's a very dangerous prayer to pray. 
George Whitfield said this, if God puts thorns in your bed, it's only to awaken you from the sleep of spiritual death, to rise you up and to seek his mercy, or to keep you from complacency. Remember, God is always good. I've been at a church in Oxford, gosh, 30 years ago, and one of the assistant pastors had a cancer scare, and he came to a prayer meeting, and he just had the news from his tests his biopsy and he said oh it's good news it's it's not cancer and we were going oh god is good god is good and he says something like this i'm going to paraphrase he said yeah god is good but god would still have been good if i had cancer i just have to ask a more difficult question how is god using this cancer to draw me closer to himself because god is always good whether he sends prosperity or pain God is always good whether he sends prosperity or pain. Do you believe that? Let me have a, a pastoral moment with you, 7 p.m. I know that you love Jesus. I know that you, you know God and you know Jesus. I have the joy of, of hearing your stories, and, and it's just beautiful. But please don't be satisfied with just a knowledge of Jesus when you could have an intimacy with Jesus, a closeness with Jesus, a nearness with Jesus, a, an experience of Jesus, an encounter of Jesus that goes way beyond the intellectual. You've tasted and seen how good he is. I long for that, and I hope you do too. If you got it, God is desiring to transform us, to change us. He's always for you, chipping away to make you more like Christ. He's always with you, wanting his intimacy with you. And my prayer is that this year you might taste and see just how good God is. So let me pray. Psalm 116 says this, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Lord, how can we repay you? You've been so good to us. We, we, we thank you, Lord, for all the, the mundane things that we take for granted. Thank you, Father, for the people you put around us, for food, for shelter, for clean water. Thank you, Father, most of all for our Lord Jesus and for his grace and his love and his mercy towards us. And thank you, Father. Yeah, we want to thank you. I want to thank you that you, you, you do use hard times to chip away at us and to transform us. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name.